Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Friday the 19th of July. Coming up, dual staff could get stab vests amid knife fears. I appreciate that a security firm, quite rightly, is going to look after its staff, and so they should, but it's absolutely dreadful. Young people encouraged to consider career in security. I think these people are very capable of securing their own future. And it's about, for me, ensuring that some of them become career security managers in the future. And we chat to the Ebbsfleet striker who used to play with Ollie Murs. He was a good footballer. People have probably seen him on Soccer Aid and that. He's definitely got ability and he, and he loves the game, so that always makes it easier and better. Kent Online News. First today, doormen in Canterbury could be given stab vests following a number of fights in the city that have said to have involved knives. The director of Acon Security says his staff have reported seeing a number of disturbances, including a brawl in the high street involving men armed with chains, a bat and blade. Phil's been finding out what councillor Nick Eden Green thinks about it. Well, I'm absolutely horrified by it. Um, I appreciate that a security firm, quite rightly, is going to look after its staff and so they should but it's absolutely dreadful that we've now got uh, apparently knife crime or at least people carrying knives to a level where they've got to take that sort of action. Does Canterbury have a crime problem? Well, I'm not sure that it's got a particularly uh, worse crime, crime problem than, than other places and other cities. Uh, I don't think there's anything to suggest that. But yes, there is a problem. I mean, we have this terrible incident of a German student being beaten up the other day. It wasn't a knife crime, thank heavens. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't still be with us. But it was a horrific crime, and there have been knife crime problems. There, there are problems here. There's no point in denying them. And in terms of, you know, what the council can do, do you feel there's maybe enough CCTV around, Bobby's on the beat, things like that? Do you, do you feel the council are doing enough to really, you know, create a safe environment for people to be living in? No, I think there's always more that can be done and more that should be done. Um, certainly, I think that CCTV is perhaps overrated as a way of dealing with crime because it doesn't pick everything up. We've got lots of cameras, but perhaps not enough operators to look at the screens afterwards. So all that CCTV does in many occasions is just to pick up something after it's happened. We want to do something before it's happened. And that may well mean more bobbies on the meat. It may mean that at the nighttime economy needs police around at the time. And sadly, the police are just not around at night. And just finally, of course, you're, you know, not just a councillor, you're a resident yourself. Just walking around the, the town, as, as you sometimes might do at night, do you particularly feel safe when you're walking around? No, very often I don't. I mean, I often come back relatively late, not in the middle of the night, but I have meetings. Last night I came back from a meeting at half past ten, the night before uh, a meeting at about half past eleven, um, and I don't always feel safe, sadly, and certainly if I go out with my wife, she feels distinctly unsafe on many occasions. It's sad that we've got threatening behaviour, but if it's threatening behaviour backed by knives, that's even more serious. Police investigating the fight in the high street arrested a 21-year-old man on suspicion of a fray. Kent on reports. Elsewhere today, a Hearn Bay man who threw acid into the eyes of his partner's ex-boyfriend before stamping on his face has been jailed for 15 years. The victim suffered a brain hemorrhage after being attacked by Gregory Davies at his home on Roland Drive in Greenhill last July. The 36-year-old also admitted assaulting a police officer. Detectives have ruled out any third-party involvement in the death of a mum whose body was found on the M20.
32-year-old Dominique Worrell was discovered on the London-bound stretch of the motorway near Junction 9 for Ashford last February. Shortly afterwards, police arrested a 31-year-old man on suspicion of murder, but he was released without charge. An inquest is due to take place next Tuesday. A boxing coach who lost control of his car seconds before a fatal crash in a Kent village has been jailed for five years. John Verlander was overtaking two other cars along the A229 at Linton when he collided with an oncoming vehicle in December 2017. A 22-year-old man died at the scene. A jury's found the 38-year-old from St Leonard's in East Sussex guilty of causing death by dangerous driving. Kent Online News. Police are bringing in powers to try and stop people racing around an industrial estate. They're putting a dispersal order in place on the Medway City estate in Strood from 6 tonight until Sunday, following a crash last month which saw two cars burst into flames. It means any group of two or more people can be moved on and under-16s taken home. A high-speed crash at a car cruise event in Stevenage last night left 17 people injured, some of them seriously. More new police officers were recruited in Kent last year than anywhere else in England and Wales. An additional 291 people joined the force in the 12 months to the end of March, taking the total number up to just over 3,500. The county's police and crime commissioners planning to recruit even more officers between now and next spring. Now, young people in Kent are being encouraged to consider a career in the security industry. Medway-based Ward Security is supporting the Next Gen project, which is designed to get more young people understanding the different jobs that are available. The Home Office has pledged £11 million to support the growth of the sector. Paul Barnard is Director of Security and Risk Mitigation at Ward Security. I'm a board member of the Security Institute and I can look in around different conferences I went to. I didn't see many young people come coming through insecurity, let alone the diversity of the sector, which is pretty similar. Um, and the world is changing around us, so the, we need to do something different to ensure that young people understand there are a variety of careers in security. Um, yeah, there are careers on the front line, of course, which everyone probably knows about, such as, you know, door staff and, you know, um, people that sort of manage stores. But what you don't see is what behind the scenes, like the technology that goes on, the facial recognition cameras out there now, and all this exciting new stuff that's happening, which doesn't get talked about very much. So that's what the initiative's about. Recently, we've not really had any funding, um, but we've worked in partnership with the volunteer police cadets in the UK and some other partners as well. So the volunteer police cadets is around 16,000 nationally, which are funded by government. Um, but their makeup's quite incredible. There's 50-50 split male-female. They're age 13 to 18 years of age. And pretty much they come from diverse backgrounds, which is what's needed. And the cadets themselves have got a real story to tell. But the reason the Security Institute wanted to link up with them is because we wanted to show them a number of the different security shows that happen in the UK. And they are amazing shows. And these are some of the partners we've actually we, we worked with to ensure that the kids can go to these shows, they can see some of the demonstrations in action, they can get involved, they're very visible, and they go away hopefully inspired about careers in the future. And a lot of them are asking some really good pointed questions of exhibitors as well. In the future, we're hoping um, obviously to achieve some funding to go into year two, which we're in now, and year three, 
where we're looking in the future to push it into a security foundation or something similar like that. Very simply, what do I have to get out of the scheme is as many young kids as we can to show them the variety of skills and opportunities that exist in security um, because they are our future and at the end of the day they are going to be able to secure their own futures and their future of their own families using the bright methodologies they have. Um, you know, I hear so many people saying, you know, young kids these days, you know, haven't got a clue. Well, you know, they're wrong. And I want to show them they're wrong and I can demonstrate adequately that they are wrong. That I think these people are very capable of securing their own future. And it's about, for me, ensuring that some of them become career security managers in the future. And I challenge them, I give them three challenges. One is to design a logo for next gen. One is to help us redesign the website we've got. And the last but not least is some of them are going to get up on stage in December at the next show we go to and are going to tell their own story about being part of the next gen experience, which is fantastic. Kent Online reports. Changes have been made to planned closures on part of the M2 this weekend, but the suggested diversion route is still going to be 69 miles long. The announcement comes after some drivers reported being stuck in delays of up to six hours after it was shut London-bound between Faversham and Maidstone from last Friday night to Monday morning. Highways England have confirmed the closure will now be in place from 8 tomorrow night instead of this evening. We've got the full details in our story online. An urgent review is going to be carried out into the future of the Rochester Castle concerts after another year of disappointing ticket sales. Medway Council have admitted the event's unsustainable in its current format. Jess Glynn pulled out of this year's concerts with Craig David performing instead last week. Plans for a £25 million redevelopment of the Debenham store in Canterbury have gone on show for the first time. Business bosses want to turn and the three buildings in the Buttermarket, Mercery Lane and Guildhall Street into 11 shops and food outlets and 76 flats. A planning application is expected to be submitted next month and work could start as early as next spring. You can see those images of what it might look like in our story at Kent Online. Now this weekend marks a huge anniversary in the world of science and space travel. It's 50 years since Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins became the first people in history to land on the moon. We've been chatting to astronomer Ian Hargraves from the Mid-Kent Astronomical Society. He was 15 at the time and remembers the moment well. I was sitting there around the television late at night. The, the lunar module landed and then they took hours coming out, literally, because they'd been instructed to have rest. And I remember sitting there with my father. He was born, sorry, in um, 1909 which was just six years after the first heavier-than-air flight. And there we were, sitting there, watching man bouncing around on the moon, uh, which I consider to be an incredible um, development achievement. What was it like witnessing that, that moment? Well, the, the big moment for me, obviously, was Neil Armstrong's first step on the moon. And then um, the after that, just watching them put all the equipment out and everything else. The video footage wasn't, wasn't that good in those days, but um, we were all sitting there just marvelling at it. And I mean, that, I, I imagine that must have resonated with you going forward. That was one of the things that got me into astronomy.
but um, earlier than that, in 1965, when I was a bit younger, 11, I was walking home one night, dark night, it was Christmas Eve, and this great big fireball came down the road and whizzed over my head. And when I went home to tell, ask my parents what it was, they had no idea. And that, that really kicked me into astronomy because I wanted to find out what it was. And this, this meteorite landed north of Coventry. In, in a town called, well, village called Barwell. Those historic words as well um, by, by Neil Armstrong. What, what, what effect did it have that you went, you know, witnessing that at the time and you, were you with your family as well, did you say? Yes, I, was with, I remember being with my father beside him on the settee peering into the uh, TV. Um, I mean, really, the, I, I thought very very sensible and good choice of words which had obviously been scripted previously but um yeah i mean it did it, it said it was one giant leap for mankind and it was as i say from ni 1903 the first heavier than air flight to s standing on the moon in 1969 so just inc that was the big leap forward that they'd made and since then, there have been even bigger leaps. Absolutely. I mean, how, how did this change the world and our thinking of what is possible? Well, I, th I think, first of all, it changed the world because it ended the space race effectively. Um, and uh, at the time, America and Russia were in a Cold War uh, and a big, big space race. Um, and... I think from then it all slowed down because um, the funding was then not made available. Um, it, it changed the world in that respect, but also that gave us the impetus then to go and find out what's, what more was out, is out in space. And then in 1970s they launched the Voyager spacecraft that did the great tour of the outer planets of the solar system. Um, and are now actually on their way out of our solar system into interstellar space. Kent Online Sport. Football and Ebbs Fleet striker Cody McDonald has been telling us what it was like to play with Ollie Murs during his early years in Essex. The 33-year-old's been on the KM Football Podcast and started by giving us an update on his recovery from a knee injury, which has been keeping him off the pitch. Obviously, it was a big dent to the, the situation at Ebbs Fleet and that with the injury and that, but... Um... No, we're getting there. We're uh, working hard in the gym and uh, we're four months post-op now. So uh, the deadline, they say, is between seven and nine months. So um, we've got anywhere between three to five months to go. But um, the signs over the last few weeks since we've been back in training are really positive And, yeah, it's, uh, it's looking good at the minute. Is it one of those where you... Uh know that you're ahead of schedule at this stage or you're behind schedule or do you not know it at the moment? Well it was it was tough because uh, we had a change of physios in the summer uh, which I think everyone sort of knows about and when the new physio come in he, he, he originally thought I was a little bit behind which was fair fair, fair enough at the time but um, when we went back over the reports from the um, surgeon and that because um, I had a, quite a lot of damage to my menisci that yeah, so we're basically on track now. So, um, and like I say, the signs over the last few weeks have been really positive. Really been able to step it up in the gym and uh, on onto the bike now and swimming. Um, so hopefully, within the next couple of months, we'll be outside. Without going into too much detail, but yeah. what did you do basically to your knee, and, and how did you do it as well? Yeah, basically, a ball got played over the top by Ash, the goalkeeper, and I uh, sort of went shoulder to shoulder with a centre half. And um, as I nudged the ball towards goal with the outside of my 
my boot, the uh, right right leg got stuck in the ground, and yeah, it's, it. To be honest, at the time I didn't think it was that bad because I was able to play on. I think I played on for like twenty one minutes or so. Um, the initial thoughts were that my kneecap might have just popped out and popped straight back in again, so that was the hope at the time. Uh, but no, we went for the scan the next morning and straight away um, we got a call straight after just saying that I had uh, ruptured my ACL, completely ruptured it and uh, damage to my medial and my lateral uh, cartilage, which is uh, obviously sounds not good and it's it's obviously one of the worst injuries that you can get in football. And at this stage of my career, it isn't ideal, but um, there's so many medical people about now and the um, the rate that people come back at is getting better and better. So it's been a tough one so far. Like I say, we're four months in, but over the last few weeks, I've seen so much more positive uh, things with the knee. Um, so, yeah, I'm really positive about coming back and uh, hopefully before Christmas. When you was at Whitton, were you the best player there? Because I mean, you were there for three or four years. You know, we had a real good base of a team there and it was we, we didn't play at the best level. I think it was uh, Ryman Division 1 North at the time. We had a good manager and Russell Tanner, Adam's brother. And it was all local lads and we all knew each other. We all fought for each other. And no, I didn't stand out. We all just worked hard for each other. Yes, I scored a lot of goals, but that wasn't just down to my ability. It was it was the whole team that was allowing me to do that. Um, Ollie Mers was playing at the time uh, for Whitham. That's where I met him. And then a couple of my good friends, Carn Hawes, there's a few brothers and that along the way that were all there and we all stuck together. And it was it was a great time to be there. But like I say, it was I felt at the time it was I wanted to make a step up and that's why I went to Dartford. So what position was Ollie Murs and, and what was he, your relationship like on the pitch? He, he either played out wide or he was a striker. And then from then we actually we we joined the Sunday team together as well and we all played a team called Valley Swifts and I played up and up with them until I signed for Dartford. That was all local lads that sort of half of wit and went and played on a Sunday as well. So we was building a good relationship between us all and yeah, he was a good player but he, he did have a few injuries with his knee. He actually done what I've just done from a very young age and I think 12 years on now he's just had to have another operation on it because it wasn't quite done right at the time and it's been giving him a bit of chip but now he was a decent player to be fair to him. Better finisher than you or not? Not hard. <laughs> no, to be fair, he was, like I say, he was a good footballer. People have probably seen him on Soccer Aid and that. He's definitely got ability and he and he loves the game, so that always makes it easier and better. I'll tell you what, his initiation song must have been decent, must have yeah. been doing the back then. Yeah, it's going after him, eh? Imagine going after Ollie, yeah. <laughs> was, I mean, was, you, was he singing around the dressing room then when you were nah, practically going? No, we, we, Any he, idea what was going to happen? He was um, obviously the local pub, because after the Sunday games, we used to go back to the local pub yeah. and on a Sunday night, they used to do a karaoke and he used to get up. And I don't think he ever really took it seriously, but he'd get up and we'd all be like, oh, you're actually like decent, like you need to... And then it was from there, I think it was just after I signed for Norwich actually that he went on X Factor and obviously done well and he's he's just gone up and up and up since then so it's uh, crazy for him as well at the minute I think Did you fancy yourself singing in the pub on a Sunday night? Nah. <laughs> Not unless I'd had a few beers, but <laughs> even then I think it wasn't that great. That's it for now, but for more news throughout the day, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. 